0: Well, once again, great to see all of you today. I wonder if you turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, there are some Bibles in the pews there. If you wish to look at one of them, there should be a black-covered Bible. I think there's supposed to be one on every row, so, and uh, there should be one there. Philippians chapter 3. We're moving along in our series on Philippians. This is uh, sermon number 14, as we've worked our way a few verses at a time Uh, through this book Philippians chapter 3 we're going to read today uh, starting in verse 12 and we're going to go to verse uh, 16 verse 12 up to verse 16 kind of jumping in the middle of the apostle Paul's uh, note that he was speaking of uh, regarding the resurrection and the and the perfection and the glory that we will have in the Lord Jesus Christ and he says in verse 12 not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. When trouble or hardship or tragedy strike us, how do do we respond We often call these traumatic events defining moments because they define or they reveal what's in our hearts. See, anybody can be noble and gracious and kind when life is rolling along comfortably. But one of the marks of where we stand with the Lord is what we do and how we respond when tragedy strikes us. Now we're going to unpack these verses a piece at a time here in, in just a moment. But you can see from just this brief reading of these verses, particularly if you've been with us through our study of Philippians, you can see that the Apostle Paul is saying he is not perfect, but he is strenuously pressing forward toward the goal of being Christlike. When heartbreak and sorrow and loss or any traumatic event falls upon our path, it it is a spiritually defining moment. And our response to those trials tells us where we are in our walk with the Lord Jesus. Are we pressing forward for the Lord? Are we self-focused? Or are we God-focused? Trials will always reveal that very clearly. They are defining moments. Many years ago, long probably over 30 years ago, speaking at a church in the Florida Keys. And we met some wonderful folks that we've stayed in contact with over the years. And this last week, they posted a letter from a pastor of a church on Sanibel Island. That's one of the places that virtually got washed off the map in Hurricane Ian just a couple of weeks ago in Florida. This pastor wrote this email letter last Sunday morning. I'd like to read it to you. And I'd like to think about this, I'd like you to think about this as I, as I read his letter to you. I'd like to think about this as his defining moment. He writes, Dear Sanibel Church Family, it's Sunday morning, October 2nd, last Sunday, 4.30 a.m. I'm writing this from a hotel bathroom so as not to wake my wife. I couldn't have imagined a week ago that this is where I would be today. Normally on a Sunday morning, I would wake up about 5.30 or so and head out for a beach walk with my dog to pray and think through the sermon I'd spent all week preparing. This Sunday in particular would have been the beginning of a new sermon series on Daniel, followed by the Lord's Supper in our last one-service gathering. In the wintertime, a lot of South Florida churches moved to two services in the winter because they got so many people coming. So he said, "This would have been his last service gathering last Sunday." But instead, he said, "I'm sitting in a hotel bathroom. I don't have a house. My earthly possessions can now fit in my pickup. I can't go to my favorite beach. I have no idea when I will preach again in my pulpit on Santa Bel to my beloved congregation." And no, I didn't get around to studying Daniel much this week. Where are you this morning? Some of you are in hotels on the east coast, meaning the east coast of Florida. They went across the coast to get away from the hurricane. Some are staying with family and friends, wondering how long the arrangement will work. Others are up north watching this disaster from a distance, filled with more questions than answers, plagued by a vexing sense of helplessness. Some are in the Fort Myers area without power or internet or consistent cell service. They can't even read this email. Some are stuck in shelters because the storm surge wiped out most of the cars. Some, I don't know where you are. Is it sinking in yet, or are you still in shock? The feelings and thoughts come in waves. Haven't had much time or capacity to reflect on the events of the past week. Most of my mental energy has been spent on trying to coordinate efforts, solve problems, and find people. But this morning, sitting in this motel bathroom, my little office, unable to sleep... I find myself in a rare moment of contemplation. I'm thinking about Psalm 46, which is why I asked Cole to read that a few minutes ago. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. The psalmist meant the roaring sea as a metaphor for turmoil and danger, But this week we saw the literal reference for that metaphor. We saw the sea rise up and swallow homes, cars, bridges, and lives. The storm cut the causeway islands in half. Actually, the island he lived on has just been literally cut in half. The incredible power of the sea flung boats and cars all over Iona, a little town just on the mainland. Fort Myers Beach is completely devastated. The psalm describes an earth-shattering ocean storm these verses will never be again it will never again be an abstraction for us yet we must not forget how the psalm begins god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble god is our refuge no storm touches god god needs no insurance policy because he reigns above the flood he is the only safe place God is our strength. God never loses power or fuel. The Lord doesn't feel anxious or perturbed and has no troubled thoughts about the future. Our Heavenly Father is not passing through phases of shock, grief, and despair. The triune God dwells in perfect peace, joy, and delight at all times. He's not exhausted or depleted. The Helper who is always found. Unlike us, our God is not helpless. He isn't stuck watching the news, imagining himself renting a boat so he can sneak onto our island and do something. He's our helper who is always found in times of trouble. Trouble comes and goes. Hurricanes pass, but our helper never changes or leaves us. Even when our future is uncertain and our lives have been completely overturned, we know these things about God. He is almighty, he is eternal, and he loves us. No wonder the psalmist can look into the tempest and say, "'Therefore, we will not be afraid.'" The psalmist is not in denial about the power of the storm. Rather, he beholds the greatness and power and loving kindness of our Lord toward us. God is infinitely willing and able to help his storm-tossed people. The fury of Hurricane Ian is a gentle breeze compared to the might of our Savior God. And if the psalmist knew these things about the Lord... How much more should we who live in the light of the cross? Our Lord Jesus has rendered the ultimate aid. He bore the terrifying storm of God's wrath to save us from our sins. The cross is our refuge. Jesus is our strength. He is risen and ever-present to help us. Let us go to his throne boldly for mercy and grace. This faith in the Lord as our refuge, strength, and help gives us an internal strength that stands in stark contrast to the chaos of the storm. Verse 4 and verse 5 of that psalm say, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Yes, there is a raging ocean, but remember there is also a river. From our Lord flows peace and life. We have been shaken, but because the Lord is within us, we will not topple. Look to the Lord, brothers and sisters. We won't topple. We won't collapse. Sanibel Community Church still stands, and I'm not talking about the building on Periwinkle, which isn't standing. It washed into the ocean. And this stream isn't just for us. The Lord wants His living waters to flow out of our lives into the lives of others. I bet even in the pain and confusion of this past week, the thought has crossed your mind, how will the Lord use this to advance the gospel and display His glory? Keep asking that question. Turn it into a prayer. God's calling on his people to be salt and light and to bear witness to Jesus has not changed. Our mission remains intact. We are still here to multiply maturing disciples of Jesus and healthy churches for the glory of God and the good of the world. All that has changed, all that has changed are the circumstances and contexts where God is calling our congregation to execute that mission. On Wednesday, as the storm raged, I was sitting in a mall in Boca Raton trying to get internet. That's just north of Miami on the east side of the state. One of the stores had a TV with news coverage of the storm. Starved for information, I walked over to watch with a few others. We started talking. I told them I was a Sanibel refugee. The strangers around me stood in shock as I described what little I knew was happening on Sanibel Captiva in Fort Myers. The conversation ended, and I returned to my computer. A few minutes later, one of the store employees came over and said, I'm sorry, but I just have to ask, why are you so calm? You're losing everything, and yet you seem so nonchalant. It was a funny question, because I didn't really feel calm or nonchalant, yet that's what he perceived. So I started to explain, well, I'm a Christian, and I pastor a church. I didn't get to finish my sentence, He cut in and his face lit up and he said, of course, you have God. I got it. It all makes sense. And he walked away smiling. I bet there are lots of conversations like that waiting for us in the coming weeks and months. I pray today that wherever you are, you may take time to sit beside the river of God and be filled with his peace. And then take his word, his gospel, and his love to a helpless and hopeless world that's still sinking. Love in Christ, Pastor Jeremy. I don't know Pastor Jeremy. I don't even know his last name, but I sure love his letter to his church family. That's a sermon all by itself. I guess I could just quit there and pray, but you know I won't. This is just my illustration of the text. So I'll give you my outline of the text as well. As I said a few minutes ago, when heartbreak and sorrow and loss or any traumatic event falls on our path, it is a spiritually defining moment. Our response to those trials tells us where we are in our walk with the Lord Jesus. Are we pressing forward for the Lord? Are we self-focused or are we God-focused? Trials always reveal that very clearly. They are defining moments. And in Pastor Jeremy's defining moments, moment he was living up to daniel twelve three that says those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever here he's saying i can put all of my worldly possessions in my pickup truck now but the question he's asking is how is god going to use this to further the gospel and promote his glory that's a defining moment and that is an incredible response now, I know that as we read these few verses in Philippians, some of you are undoubtedly thinking, what in the world is the Apostle Paul speaking about? Especially when you look at verse 12, the last part there, I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Say, well, what is Paul talking about? Well, Paul has clearly shown in these first 11 verses of the chapter that we spent a few weeks looking at, that, that salvation and forgiveness of sin... And the confidence of heaven does not come by human achievements or by any righteous thing that we can come up with. We have to have, as we said last week, we have to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because God demands perfection if we're ever going to get to heaven, and that is impossible for us to achieve. So we have to trust what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. If the righteousness, it is the righteousness rather, of Jesus Christ that He grants to us when we stop trusting our own efforts and we trust Him. So so if self-efforts cannot buy our salvation, as Paul clearly says they can't, then what is God's plan for us? Why are we trying to live a holy life and be pleasing to the Lord? What is God's goal for me? Well, before we look at the few brief points in this passage, I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 8. And I'll tell you what God's goal is for every person who knows Christ as their Savior. The Apostle Paul wrote about it here in Romans chapter 8. This is one of the most fantastic chapters in all of the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to read and study through Romans chapter 8. I know some of you have and are familiar with this passage. We're just going to look at a couple of verses right in toward the end of the chapter. But what, what a fabulous, fabulous chapter. Some of you know these verses. Verse 28 is where we're going to begin to read. Romans 8, 28. The Apostle Paul writes, And we know... That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And we'll pause right there. To predestine means God predetermined what our destiny should be. And he said that destiny for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is to be conformed to the image of His Son. So what is God's plan for me? What is God's goal for me? God's goal for me is to be like the Lord Jesus. God's plan for me is to become Christ-like. God predetermined that our eternal destiny would be to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the marvelous grace and kindness of God, He planned from eternity past to redeem us, to forgive us, to make us His own, and to not only give us an eternal home in heaven, but to allow us to inherit all of the glories of heaven with Jesus Christ. All because we are in Him, we've seen in the book of Philippians. So back in Philippians 3, when, when, when Paul says, uh, I am pressing on, I am pursuing this, I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me, what's he talking about? He's talking about Christ-like Christ-likeness. Jesus Christ saved Paul and has reached down and has redeemed us. If you know Christ as your Savior, He has redeemed you so you will be like Him. And so Paul says, I want to lay hold of that goal. Jesus Christ saved me so I would be like Him. And and so I want to work toward that. I, I, I I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's what I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing Christ-likeness, being like Jesus in word, in attitude, in action, in lifestyle, so that I love what Jesus loves. I speak to people like Jesus spoke to people. I treat people like Jesus treated people. I have priorities like Jesus. The things that are important to God are important to me. And one day when I die or when the Lord returns, then I will be in heaven and the process of making me Christ-like will be complete. That's what Paul's driving out here in Philippians 3. But he says, until then... Until that day comes that either the Lord returns and takes me home, or I die and I leave this life, whichever happens first. He said, until then, I am pressing on, I am pressing forward for that goal, that, that ultimate day, the upward call of God, when I will be like Jesus. So if I am pursuing Christ Christ like likeness, and I should be, then what does that require of me? And if you are pursuing Christ-likeness, and if the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you, you should be, that's God's plan for you, then what does that require of you? I'm going to call these four perspectives. You could call them attitudes. You could call it a mindset. I've just chosen to call them four perspectives. And if we're going to pursue Christ-likeness, that is, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ... Then there are these four perspectives that we need to have. I'll give you the four, then we'll kind of unpack them a little bit. Awareness, effort, focus, and determination. Awareness, effort, focus, and determination. And let me show you where I see these in this text. First one is awareness. Awareness. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I can lay hold of that Christ likeness for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. That was his plan for me. So Paul says, in, in fact, in the previous verses we saw, <coughs> excuse me, the Paul says, I have gained the joy of knowing him. I have gained perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have gained the strength and power of his resurrection. I have gained Jesus' fellowship in suffering. I have gained eternal glory with Him forever. But Paul says, even though I have gained all those wonderful things by being in Christ, I have not arrived yet. I have not attained perfection. And if we're going to pursue Christ like this, we have to be realistic about where we are. We all tend to think that we're doing pretty well in our walk with the Lord. But we need to be realistic. And, and right after Paul praises God for all the incredible blessings he has in Christ, he immediately reminds his readers that he has not attained perfection. He is aware of his struggle with indwelling sin, and we also should be. Most of the folks I have met and talked to, they, they recognize their own flaws, at least some of them. But you know, we're all a little blind to some of our flaws, Even in simple things of life. Just one funny story, I'll tell you. One of my things I do on Saturday night is trying to figure out what I'm going to wear Sunday morning. And so I go through the closet and I pull out this or that. And I pulled out a shirt last night. And my wife says, you know, you just wore that two weeks ago. Oh, yeah? I don't remember that. Well, I said, I kind of, you know, I said, well, how about if I wear this shirt with these pants? Oh, no, please don't do that. You always pick that shirt with those pants and it looks horrible. I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you pick for me today? That's why I'm wearing what I'm wearing. My wife picked it. See, one of my flaws is I don't do real good at, at matching clothes. Colors, certain things that look good to me, my wife goes, oh, please don't do that. So I, I don't really care which which one I wear, so just, just pick one and iron it up for me, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll stick it on. Now I don't put that in the sin category, just because I can't match colors. But I'm just telling you, we, we all are a little blind to some of our flaws. Because I keep picking the same shirt to go with the same pants, it freaks her out every time. Been doing it for years, apparently. I don't I don't even think about it. We've all got some flaws. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, I am not perfected. So if you're going to work toward Christ likeness, and I, and I tell you, if Paul says I'm not perfected, I guarantee you we're not. He wrote half the New Testament. God used him to pen half of the New Testament. And if he says, I'm not perfected yet, I guarantee you, neither are we. A long way to go. So we need, we need an awareness of where we are spiritually so that we recognize what we need to do. So as soon as you start telling yourself, Well, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good this week, watch out. Watch out. Paul says, be aware of where you are with the Lord. Number two, effort. Christ-likeness doesn't just drop down out of the sky and land on us because we said a prayer. Paul says here, I press on. There in verse 12. I press on. He says the same thing in verse 14. I press on. Toward the goal, he said in verse thirteen, "I am reaching forward to those things that are ahead." That word "reach" means to strain, to to reach out, to just give everything you had for it. I press on. I press toward the mark. I I reach forward. That there's effort. There's dying to self, there's self-denial, there's sacrifice, there is spiritual sweat. Paul says, I am working at this. I am training. I am disciplining myself. I pound on my sinful flesh and bring it into subjection. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, a great passage there. And he said, I don't want to become disapproved to God. So he says, I pound on my old sinful flesh to try and bring it into subjection. Because there, there is effort put forth to be Christ-like. You don't just get on your knees one day and say, oh, Lord, make me Christ-like. I mean, just get up and go about your business. It takes self-discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes self-denial. If you're going to follow Jesus, it takes effort. One guy told me once a number of years ago, I'm, t- I'm, I'm tired of following the Lord, Pastor. I said, why? He said, it's just too hard. I said, what's, what's, what's too hard? You know, this, this dying to self stuff, he said, it's just really hard. I said, of course it is. Because your old self rises up and fights back all the time. It's hard to die to me and live for God. It's, it, it's a challenge. That's why Paul says, I am pressing forward for the mark. I I, I am seeking Christ-likeness. Jesus saved me to make me like Him. And and I am pressing forward to, to go for that. It takes effort, awareness, effort. Number three, focus. Notice he says in verse 13 again, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, meaning to have reached the mark. But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize. There is focus. This one thing I do, Paul says. What's he doing? He says, I'm forgetting the past, and I'm looking to the future. If you are constantly beating yourself up over bad choices in your past, you'll never head anywhere for God. Because the devil is going to use those things. He is going to plague you with that over and over and over and over and over. And and, and if you are always looking back and saying, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, I screwed up my life when I did that. Maybe you did. But he says, forgetting the things that are behind and looking forward to the things that are before, I press toward the mark. The great (laughs) Christian writer C.S. Lewis of a generation or so ago. He's passed away many years ago. I read this quote of his. I've, I've used it many times. You've probably heard me use it. But he once wrote You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. I love that. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and you can change the ending. And that is exactly the Apostle Paul's approach to pursuing Christlikeness. Confess it to the Lord. Make it right with people if you need to. Then don't focus on your past. Focus on where you're going. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. You need to focus on where God is taking you not on all the mistakes or even the victories you can look back to i know some guys they're always living on what they did for christ two years ago five years ago ten years ago how about today how about next month how about next year so paul's not only forgetting his mistakes of the past he's forgetting his victories of the past and he keeps moving forward toward the goal of christlikeness and then number four determination Determination is effort that you don't give up that you don't give up on. I, I call determination effort without quitting. You are pressing on, you are reaching forward, you don't fade out. Paul says in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind he said this should be your mindset this should be your attitude if in anything you think otherwise if you haven't if you you don't really understand what god wants you to do he said god will reveal it to you But to the degree you've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. In other words, just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. You are pressing on. You are reaching forward. You don't fade out. Paul says if you're spiritually mature, you'll get it. And you know what I'm saying. But if you're not there yet, then God will show you. But wherever you are, walk by this rule. And don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Awareness, effort, focus, and determination. Two hundred years ago, in the old flintlock musket days, early 1700s, there was a there was a small pan, right uh, that uh, that was right at the breech of the of the barrel of the rifle, and it would hold the gunpowder. They'd put some gunpowder down in the barrel, tamp it down, then they'd put a little bit of gunpowder in that pan, and when they cocked that old flintlock rifle, the flint would hit the steel, make a spark hit the gunpowder, in the, the, the gunpowder in the pan would light, which would light the powder in the barrel, and the gun would shoot, hopefully. <laughs> Occasionally, the gunpowder would burn, but the gun would misfire, giving rise to the old phrase, you've probably heard it, a flash in the pan. That was the pan. That was the flash, poof, but no bang. There was smoke and explosion and noise and expectation, but nothing happened. Unfortunately, there are many folks whose spiritual growth is like a flash in a pan. Lots of noise, lots of excitement, lots of expectation, lots of potential, but nothing happens. That's why our our awareness and our effort and our focus needs to be followed up with determination. Otherwise, we're just a flash in the pan. And when those defining moments crash in on us, what will it reveal about us? I was so blessed, as I told you a moment ago, by Pastor Jeremy, Hurricane Ian, 150 mile an hour winds, 24 inches of rain in one day, a 10-foot storm surge, annihilates his house and his church building, and, and he can now put everything he owns on this earth in his pickup truck. And what does he say? What's his question? Oh, no, what am I going to do? Why did God let this happen? No, his question is, how will the Lord use this to advance the gospel and display his glory? That is a man who has God's perspective. I believe we are headed for challenging days in this country. It may be a tough winter and not just the weather. What will our defining moments reveal about us? John MacArthur recounts the story of a certain location in the Swiss Alps where there's a a grave marker honoring a man who fell to his death while attempting to scale a mountain. The marker states his name, and then underneath has this simple phrase, He died climbing. When I read that, I thought, boy, what what a great epitaph. By God's grace, may that be spiritually true of us. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Die climbing. Die climbing. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be self-aware of our flaws and our weaknesses and our inabilities. We want to know what you want us to do. Lord, I pray several things today. I pray for any person here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't have the absolute confidence of heaven. They're still trying to get to heaven on their own righteousness rather than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that whoever that may be, that they would submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. They would trust by faith what you did for us on the cross at Calvary. And they would receive that blessing of the confidence of heaven because they're trusting you and not themselves or anything they've done. Then, Lord, I pray for we who do know you as our Savior. You saved us in order to make us like the Lord Jesus. That is our destiny in Christ to be conformed to the image of His Son. And Lord, I pray that as we pursue our walk with the Lord, that we will be aware of where we are, aware of what we need to do, aware of our flaws, aware of our weaknesses. May we address those by the grace of God. And then, Lord, help us with effort and focus and determination to move toward that path of being more and more like the Lord Jesus. And Lord, when those defining moments, those troubles and trials and losses and heartaches and griefs come upon us, Lord, may those defining moments simply reveal that our heart is focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.